0: If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day.
1: The conventional wisdom in our culture is when something works, grow it bigger, faster, more. But what kind of life do you actually want to have? And how do you want to spend your time every
0: day? I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. Thanks to Billy for supporting this podcast. Billy delivers premium razors direct to you for half the price of what you find in the store. For a limited time, get 10% off your razor at mybilly.com slash dreamjob. Also, thanks to Frank and Oak. Frank and Oak is a Canadian apparel company dedicated to providing you with the clothing that's right for you and your lifestyle. To get $25 off your first subscription box and try Style Plan by Frank and Oak, completely risk-free, visit frankenoak.com dreamjob. Thanks to ClearBank for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. If you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue, find out how you can receive ClearBank capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbank.com dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I wanted to start off by reading you something that my friend Emily McDowell wrote that I absolutely love. And here's what she said. We are here to enjoy ourselves. We are not employees of the universe. God is not tracking our vacation days. And I just thought this was so huge. And I wanted to mention this because I feel like so often we feel that being a grown up means that We have to suffer at least a little, that we're not really meant to be happy all the time. We learn that this feeling of unbridled joy is maybe reserved for some weekends or for retirement. There's actually a line in the Talmud that says that the first question we're asked when we get to heaven is to answer for every pleasure in this world that we could have had, but that we didn't let ourselves have. So maybe. Our job is to do the things that make us come alive. Maybe that's not a crime. And I think that that's really, it's really huge. I think that so often this idea that really we're here to lift our face to the sun and put our shoulders back and to do the things that make us feel good. I don't think that's been modeled for us. And I do think that there's some feeling of guilt or no, 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 you're not being responsible or that's not really what life's about or you're being selfish. Maybe it's the opposite. You know, maybe when we are in a state of joy, we are offering the biggest service to the world because maybe when we step into that flow and that alignment and that joy, that's how we sort of reverberate and spread more goodness around. So just something to think about. I'm excited about today's episode because Emily, you're actually going to hear from her again. She was on the on the show before, but we're doing this awesome montage today. I'm going to get to that in a second. But the first thing I want to do is tell you that I'm actually offering a full week immersion experience. The week of September 16th, I will be showing up every single day at noon Pacific Standard Time doing a full immersion experience. And it's free when you pre-order my book. So go ahead and pre-order my book and you will get this full workshop for free. I will be showing up live every single day and we will be going through the main points that are in the book that are really going to help you level up, that are really going to help you crack open what is it that you want to do and how are you going to actually build that scale that so that you are waking up every day doing you getting paid to be you. So You'll find a link in the show notes to pre-order the book. You can pre-order it wherever you want, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can get the Audible version, however you want to get it. And depending on how you buy it, it's either like fifteen bucks or twenty bucks. And then um, there's another link in the show notes for you to let us know that you you did buy it and that you're signing up for this full immersion experience. So who's with me? You guys want to hang out for a full week and uh, have this awesome workshop? Yeah, I think it's going to be super fun. And again, it's free when you pre-order the book, and uh, you just have to pre-order the book in the next week, and then we will be filling up all the spots for this free workshop. So you can find the links to that in the show notes. All right. So let's talk about today's episode. We're doing something a little different, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it. We're going to be playing for you some clips from a few of the awesome guests that we had in the accelerator program that I did. You're going to hear from some of the friends that have been on the show before, like I mentioned, Emily McDowell and Tracy Matthews also, but you're also going to hear from people that you haven't met and you're going to love some of the stuff. So stay tuned. We're going to get into some really important building blocks of how to grow your business. We're going to cover different topics like identifying and understanding your ideal client, story selling, using language in a way that really speaks to your audience. So you you might want to take some notes during this episode because you're going to hear some really key insights that you can take with you. This is going to be sort of like 15 TED Talks in one. Okay, so first up, we're going to share a clip from a session with the amazing Melissa Kemaleri. She was on the show last year, but this is a new session. This is a whole class she gave. She's the founder of Compliment and she's one of the kindest, most generous souls I happen to know. This is a crash course on finding your ideal client, which is one of the most crucial things to figuring out how to build your business. And in this talk, she gave a lot of valuable tips on how to really get clear who your audience is. So I think you're going to find this really helpful. Okay. Let's take a listen.
2: Before we serve, we, we need to know like some key information. And I will tell you that the dreaming and the creation of your products, that's all the sexy fun stuff that keeps our dream alive. What I'm about to talk to you about is not so sexy. However, it is like the ultimate building block for everything else that you're going to do. If you don't know who you're serving through your business, you don't have a business because people need to know that what you're doing in the world, whatever products or services that you're selling are for them. And it is accurate to say that your stuff is not going to be everyone's cup of tea, nor should it be. You are looking to serve the smallest viable audience. You might only need to reach 1000 people. That's incredible. So we're going to look to figure out who our dream clients are, who our ideal clients are and where they are online so that we can get our stuff in front of them more accurately and more quickly. So our marketing isn't like shouting out into a void. If you try to be everything to everyone, you're going to be nothing to no one. It's time to make your brand mean the world to a group of very dedicated and loyal people. So let's talk about who your ideal client is. Your ideal client is somebody that you enjoy working with or working for. It's someone who can afford your products. Your ideal client is somebody who truly values what you offer and is going to pay for the results of purchasing your product or service. And it's somebody who will be loyal and returning a customer to you over and over again for the different products you sell at the different price points, or if you have a consumable product that will buy it again and again once it runs out. So when we are designing who our ideal client is, I want you to think of that person as a character in a novel, as if you were writing a story with that character as the main protagonist. And you get to design that life around your ideal client. Your ideal client is going to be shaped with qualities that maybe people that you know have But just like an author writes a character from a book, usually those characters borrow personality traits and habits and and motivations from people that that author knows in real life or can imagine. So you are creating essentially a mashup or an avatar of the people in your circle or that you can imagine. Okay? So here are some easy identifiers. We always start at the age for some reason. So I know for my ideal client, is Ashley. She is um, 32 years old. She doesn't exist in real life, but she borrows qualities from a lot of people. She was in a sorority when she was in college, and now she lives across the country from all of her best girlfriends. And they have um, monthly Skype dates or Zoom dates where they can catch up and drink a glass of wine together and talk about their kids and their husbands or whatever to stay connected. But she feels like a, a very big sense of FOMO that she doesn't get to hang out with her college friends anymore. So she buys and sends them really specific, lovely gifts to let them know that they are still loved and important in her life. The day that I figured that out, this is no lie, hand to heaven. I named her Ashley and the next four orders in a row that came in that day was Ashley, 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 Ashley. Like, it's just so crazy to think about. Okay. Other important identifiers, things that we don't often think about. So we've already determined that maybe our ideal client has a certain kind of income to afford your products. All of those things additionally create a psychology or a psyche of this character that you're building, this ideal client. So we need to understand why they chose that profession. Did their parents just tell them that this is what you're going to do with your life? And they're like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. And they really hate blood and they're making a ton of money, but they're super unfulfilled. Those people exist. There are also people exist who love what they're doing. Who's your person? What is their marital status? Are they single? Are they looking? Do they have children? Do they have parents? Are those parents aging? Do they need financial support? What are their relationships with those people? Here's why it matters. Because people don't only buy for themselves. And if they do only buy for themselves, it's because probably that their relationships with other people don't require them to purchase or to spend money in some other way, not maybe not just for gifts, but to financially support in other way, the people around them. So think about that. When you understand that the better your marketing is going to be, and it's going to be really seamless because you know exactly who you're talking to. You can talk exactly to that one person and you will know that it's working because you will start seeing the results of people responding to you. They'll say, Oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. You'll start seeing more sales come in. You'll start seeing people who enroll in your programs or services because you're speaking directly to their problems and to their motivations. So here's another way that you can start learning more about your ideal client. You might have an idea or a thought about someone in real life who may fit that mold. I want you to start looking on Instagram or looking on Facebook or even just directly asking somebody, if you know somebody who's close to your ideal client in real life, ask them, who are the bloggers or authors or thought leaders your ideal client follows? I know for me, my ideal client loves Brene Brown. Well, here's a really cool indicator. If I go to Brene Brown's Instagram, I can see a whole list of people who are potentially my ideal clients, I'm not her competitor, but if my people follow Brene Brown and I know that I can go in and start interacting with people who follow her, knowing that if they like what she's doing, they're probably going to like what I'm doing too. Okay. So you can do some research that way what are they sharing? What are they posting? How do they talk? How do they relate in the comments to other people? So go out and find them, start a conversation with them. Once you find your people and you're like, okay, well, this is awkward. How do I start a conversation with somebody? I'll tell you my tried and true method. And it actually is derived from how to win friends and influence people, the old classic by Dale Carnegie. And it goes like this. It's a compliment plus a question. It's super simple. And it can be I mean, you should make it genuine. Like you don't want to do it just to be a skis. You do it to be genuine. So you find something that you can compliment or speak life over that person, ideal client that you're trying to be, to build a relationship with. You say, I love how you blah, 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 or those are super cute shoes. Now, if you just leave it at a compliment, what is the response that you're going to get? Thank you. And then that's it really hard to build a relationship on just that interaction. So a compliment followed by a question, because if you ask a question, it's going to elicit a response. Not everyone's going to respond to you, but the ones who do, now you can start getting into conversation with that person. If you build a relationship with somebody authentically on Instagram or any other social media platform, they are more likely to follow you and see what it is that you're doing on your social as well. So It leaves you with some work. And I told you at the outset, this is not easy and it's actually super not sexy, but it is an essential building block for you to soar in your business.
0: All right. There were so many good nuggets in there. Okay. We're just going to take a quick ad break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. One question I hear all the time is how do I start a business when I don't have the money? Well, ClearBank provides entrepreneurs capital to grow. They believe that founders shouldn't have to sacrifice part of their company to fund marketing and inventory expenses. ClearBank makes equity-free investments ranging from $10K to $10 k to 10000000 dollars and you can get a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. It takes just a few minutes to apply. You tell them your basic business info and any marketing and revenue data, and then you choose from the marketing budget options, that they provide, and you watch your revenue grow as you get more customers with your new marketing budget. ClearBank also offers more capital as you grow. They charge a small flat fee for the capital, and then you pay them back using a win-win rev share. This is not a loan. There's no interest rates, no fixed maturation date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, no equity, and no board seats required. ClearBank really gives you an advantage in the market because they work with all types of people in the industry, like marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants. And last year, they they invested over $150 million, but this year they're on track to invest over $1 billion. If you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue, you can find out how to receive ClearBank capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbank.com slash dreamjob. And bank is spelled with a C at the end. So that's C-L-E-A-R-B-A-N-C.com slash dreamjob. Stop pitching and get back to doing what you love, growing your business. The next clip I want to play is from the awesome Tracy Matthews. You might remember her episode. We did it back in May. She's a jewelry designer. She's an entrepreneur. She's a founder of Flourish and Thrive and creatives rule the world. She's an expert when it comes to storytelling. She really dives into the strategies on how you can dissect your story and extract the pieces that will really click with your audience so that when you get to the point of selling, you've already done all the heavy lifting. She's such a pro at this. You're going to pick up a ton of wisdom for what she has to say. So, So here we go.
3: So let's talk a little bit about how to use stories to sell. There is a formula to sharing a great story. Uh, And the framework for a good story starts with a hook. And the hook of your story is really the opening line or sentence that grabs the audience's attention and draws them into the story. So you want to start with some sort of opener that's going to grab the attention. It can also have the angle that's going to intrigue readers that are going to really make turn them into the hero of your story. Then what you want to do is probably provide a brief introduction of who you are and why this actually matters. And then you weave into the story section. Here's where you tell a relevant story that relates to whatever it is that you're sharing. I can
0: give you an example if you want.
3: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So when I was working on my music course, because I teach a music licensing Mm -hmm. course, I tried many different things, and the thing that worked the best is the following as a Facebook video. I just said, 10 years ago, I pulled over on the side of the road. I was crying. I was depressed. I didn't know where I was headed. I felt like I didn't have like a sense of like how I would ever do this thing I wanted to do. I was sick of wearing a pantsuit. I knew I wasn't being myself. And I was ready to give up, but then somebody sent me a quote from Rumi that says, what you seek is seeking you. And I decided to like put one foot in front of the other and see if I could find my way back into the music world. I'd already been dropped from a label and I had given up. And I wound up walking forward, and um, I realized that people were licensing their music, and I didn't know how to do that, but I thought, what if I put all my resources into it? And so I started to look into that, and would you believe that within two years, I licensed my first song, and I made $25,000 for Kodak. My next song, I made fifty dollars for McDonald's, and I started to see the results of actually licensing music. That story, I saw that convert like
3: crazy, and it really was just me telling the truth, and it works. A hundred percent. And so that's a great way of like being able to create something relatable up front that people resonate with because they get it. Like anyone who's a musician who like feels like they're getting doors slammed in their face and they got dropped from a record label is going to feel like, I get this. Like I'm at a rock bottom. I think the the important piece of this and what Kathy is saying is like, she's able to share this story to connect with the audience, but then also show the transformation that there's hope. And so no matter what we're trying to do is we're trying to weave like whatever we want the outcome to be into that story. And so in that story section, you're creating this relatable connection to whatever your hook is or whatever the entrance is that you're trying to do. And then weave that into something that's going to educate and entertain them and then have a strong call to action at the end. This is something that I think people miss is they're not really clear on what they want people to do next. Uh, and this can be written, it can be spoken in any sort of way. The formula for creating these stories, these short little stories that put your customer at the center of it, uh, is the same no matter what. But what you're trying to do is to walk them through this framework so that they know what to do next. Great stories always teach people something, they make them laugh and cry all at the same time, and they add massive value. So you want people walking away no matter what it is that you're sharing. To feel inspired in some way or to have some sort of takeaway or to at least in the very least to feel good about themselves and their situation. And so I think it's really powerful when you can be authentic because the more you can share the real you, the more people feel like you're a real human. And we have to remember that people buy from people, they do not buy from robots. And I think something that can really create strong connections is when you can talk about what your business stands for. The one thing that I think that people really resonate on is values. Like what is it that you value? Another thing that I think is really important when you're using stories to sell is to be able to feature your customers and to use case studies and testimonials as a sales tool. Because let's say you have an objection, like, like I know that this is probably running through the mind of someone like, you know, I'm sending this random girl from the internet, a bunch of heirloom jewelry what if she just t- bolts and takes off with it? So in order to overcome those objections, I interview my customers. I tell their stories of what it was like working with me, finding me, and like why, what was it about like, working with me that actually allowed them to trust? And when I post those case studies and testimonials and features of my customers, people can watch those and be like, oh, I can trust this girl. And so the more you can pull those kinds of stories out of the people that have worked with you those become sales tools for yourself. So I wanna talk about the types of stories that you can actually tell. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, there are so many. You can talk about why you do what you do. Like, why are you an artist? Why is this important to you? Share memories from childhood that sort of became the root or the stem of why you're doing what you're doing now. You can share stories about the customer journey from multiple angles, like your customer sharing it, you sharing stories about your customer, you sharing story about the experience you want your customers to have. Tutorials and how-tos. I think this is a really fun way to kind of engage people in your process and behind the scenes. Personal experiences that you have about your product or service or um, art. Personal tra- tragedies that show transformation. And the reason why it has to show transformation is because ultimately what we're trying to do is to target the heartstrings of people. If we're just dumping heavy stuff on them, that doesn't really create a transformation. We want to show the other side, right? So we want to be able to show like, okay, so this happened and this is the outcome of why this is important and why this story is relevant. The types of people you serve, like if you have different kinds of, I mean, we always suggest starting with one dream client or avatar, you can feature those case studies. Uh, You can do stories where you give people two choices, like which earrings do you like better, this pair or this pair, and you're kind of sharing the story of the process behind the scenes. You can use stories about your customers' experiences, how you overcame adversity or a mistake that you made at some point in your life, life-changing moments in your you know the journey of your brand, uh, and anything average and ordinary that you can tie into a business lesson. And then finally, just about anything that shares or shows a transformation in a human being. Some of those might sound redundant, but they all kind of tie in in a different way. So I wanna give you a few examples a lot of people do yoga, and we had a designer in our community that designed yoga jewelry. So uh, here's the backstory: Carrie's feeling restless in her relationship, and uh, with the stresses of life, she takes her first yoga class and absolutely loves it. Yoga becomes part of her daily routine as an occupational therapist. She buys supplies and beads a few mala bracelets that reminds her of how yoga is a reminder to stay present and release the stresses of everyday life and a relationship that's gone away. Uh, when she eventually launches her jewelry business or her, her business, she shares the stories of how her Mala beads and the healing that those Mala beads created through her, her times of sadness, stress, and pressure helped her stay present in her yoga practice. Uh, others might find a connection with the brand because of her struggles, that they are human struggles that everyone experiences, and she shares specific stories that connect with her audience because everyone relates to, you know, the loss of a love. So here's another example, because a lot of people were like, well, I don't really have any fancy origin story. I just like to work with my hands. So as a child, Scott always loved to make tactile art. He took a jewelry-making class in high school and realized he was really good at making jewelry and working with his hands. He would use the jewelry-making class as a way to get away from the athletes at lunch. He wasn't into sports so much, and he felt like an outlier. Working with his hands in any way made him feel a sense of comfort. Scott designs a beautiful symbolic jewelry that becomes totems of remembering idiosyncrasies and the unique qualities that we all have that make us different. Uh, He eventually became very well-known jewelry artist and sold his cohesive collections around the world. Uh, In some way, shape, or form, everyone feels like an outlier or different at, at different moments in time, right? Like, all of us feel unique and weird and like we don't fit in, right? He shared that story of being an outlier, which connected with all of the other people who felt the same way. Plus, his jewelry collection got a ton of press because of this. He landed in several avant-garde collaborations, but Moore was able to connect with his audience who loved his jewelry and felt the same way about themselves.
0: All right. I hope that that taught you a few things about how you can use your story in a way that makes you shine, because really that's one of the key ingredients that will make you stand out. All right. So now let's hear from my friend, Laura Belgray. Laura has her own copywriting business, Talking Shrimp, and she also runs the Copy Cure course with Marie Forleo. She really is the go-to copywriter when it comes to using words to make people fall in love with you, with who you are and what you have to offer. She's been on this show twice before, but this was such an awesome class she gave. And we only scratched the surface of all the knowledge that she had when she was here on on the episode. So in this session, she talks about the different types of subject lines you can use to hook your audience into opening your emails. She shares a few key strategies to make your words memorable and personable so that your people will really be coming back for
4: more. Let's hear
0: what she has to say
4: you can do so much with email that you can't do with anything else. Um, So why is email so powerful? Here's something that I love about email. Email is fair. There is no jerky algorithm. Emails are received in the order in which they were sent. Emails intimate, it's a one-to-one thing. Whereas something that you write on Facebook is written, it's like um, going into a rave and trying to shout. Like you see your friend across the room and you're like, Hey, I'm really excited about the webinar I'm doing next week. I really hope you'll attend. You're going to get a lot of value. So that's, you know, (laughs) someone's like, Oh, I didn't, I, I never saw your post on Facebook. That's very likely. If someone says, I never saw your email, you know, that is possible, but it was in there. And if they're looking, they'll see it. And finally, for me, email is gratifying. I feel like this is a place where I am allowed to be me and I'm talking about things that happened in my life and I've had a lot of what I would call dream jobs. But among all of those, the most gratifying thing is when I write an email and I get responses back from people telling me that it made a difference to them. It's just a great, very immediate, satisfying relationship. So how do you write the only emails that anyone actually opens and reads? I'm going to show you some pointers. All right. So first of all, you want to make it an EFAB. And an EFAB is an email from a bestie. Um, now, if that's too femme for you, it can be email from a bruh, email from a boo, et cetera. Um, but whatever you call it, you want to show the real you. I know that it can be scary, but here's the thing. You cannot be for everybody. You've just got to be the real you and you are for the people you're for and the people who don't like it. That is great. Get rid of them. You want to show the real you. So you want to make your emails intimate, sounding conversational. Don't make them sound formal. You want them to be casual and vulnerable, except that I kind of hate the word vulnerable because it's so overused and misused. I prefer the word flawsome just showing your flaws flaunting them. And most of all, you wanna think about how you would talk to a friend. And that's the way you wanna talk to your list when you're writing an email. And you can do something, do yourself a favor and read your stuff out loud. And where you find yourself stumbling over it or changing it, change it on the page as well. And then you want an informal but intriguing subject line. Here are some examples of different kinds of subject lines. Would you be into this? You sure showed me, Laura. Okay, you were right. I'd open that. I love to be told I was right. So creeped out by this. You're fired. What? Okay, so those are under the skin subject lines. Another kind is how to subject lines. What to say when someone steals your business name. How not to blow your next speaking gig. Down there, how to tell if he's the one. There are some information subject lines. What I wish I'd known about hiring a photographer. One skincare step I wish I'd taken five years ago. A moment of silence for your sweat stains. That's just an interesting way of putting like, you don't have to have sweat stains. And then there are story subject lines. That time I wet myself in front of Brad Pitt. That is not autobiographical. I didn't. And then I lost half a million dollars. That time I won a Grammy. None of these have happened to me. What happened when I checked his texts? That might have happened to me. Okay, and now we have some controversial subject lines. You always want to create some tension in your subject line, no matter what, whether it's curiosity or a little bit of frisson or something contrary to things that we believe or hear. Why you hate your job. You know, that might make someone be like, wait, I don't hate my job. Do I hate my job? You know, it might put them on the defensive and it gets them to open it in spite of the, the subject line. Don't ever use this word. Turns out money can buy you love. All right, those were subject lines. So that was number one. Two, you want to get regular, as in be prolific. Be consistent. Consistency is key. It took me a long time to learn this. It builds trust, and trust is key with your audience. Here's what you don't want to be. First of all, when when you're about to launch something or when you want to sell something is no time to... Um, come back after being away for months and months and say like, hey, everybody, you know, or hey there, I know I haven't been around, but I'm really excited about what's been going on. And uh, I've got this thing to tell you about. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be what I call the drunk uncle or the drunkle. It was that uncle who came around after years years of being away and was like, hey, really love to get to know the kids and stay with you for a couple of days and could really use a little money just to get back on my feet. You do not want to be that person. And that's who you are when you ghost your list for months. You don't want to do that. Do get regular. Okay, so here's what you have to remember. Your email does not have to be epic. It does not have to be a huge teachable, a huge takeaway, a life lesson. It doesn't have to, you know, always relate back to that time that you were at rock bottom and how you got out of it. It can be something really stupid and small. If you're like, I don't have enough to say today, that's great. Say one little thing. What would you put in a tweet? What would you put on Facebook um, in just a quick post? Do you have one thing to say? One short thing? Hey, I was just thinking about this. It can be that simple. but just a quick conversation with someone that you're checking in. And you also want to remember that you're not bugging them. When you write to your list, these are people ha- who have signed up to hear from you and if you're still in their inbox, you have survived the unsubscribe. They want to still hear from you. So you got to remember that somebody needs to hear what you have to say and you are not bugging them and write it for that person who's like, yay, another email from so-and-so. Right? This is really important. Don't get caught up in what I call the value trap. You all hear the, the word value Um, thrown around a lot, like deliver massive value, just create tons of value. And then you start thinking that that value has to be a teachable and actionable tip. It does not. There are all different kinds of value. You're providing value if you make me feel something. You're providing value if you make me see something differently. You're providing value if you recommend one thing you like, inspiring me to try something new. And then most importantly, There's value in making someone feel less alone. So you share something that makes someone say, oh my God, I'm not the only weirdo. Or, oh my gosh, I'm not the only crazy one. Or I'm not the only loser who does that. I mean, I'm not a loser at all because someone else does. That's immense value. So you want to remember all those different kinds of value. Next time you're like, I do not have another tip left in my body. Essentially, this is what you want to hear from people. It's like you're in my head. You hear that and you are in, you're in their conscious, you're in their subconscious, you're in their life. They feel like you're their friend. They trust you and they want to go to the ends of the earth with you.
0: We have a few more things to cover, but before we keep going, let's just take a quick ad break. Frank and Oak is a Canadian apparel company dedicated to providing you with the clothing that's right for you and your lifestyle. You know, I'm always looking to switch up my wardrobe, so I love shopping for new clothes that are versatile, comfy, stylish, but also that don't have a huge footprint on the environment. And shopping in the store is super stressful because I have my three kids with me typically, and I can't even go in the fitting room because I know it's gonna be stressful and they're gonna wanna get out, they're gonna wanna leave. So I love the style plan by Frank and Oak. Style plan by Frank and Oak is clothing for women and men curated by a combination of amazing stylists and AI. It's really simple. You fill out their easy style quiz, preview your monthly subscription box, and then they give you a week to choose the pieces you want to try and you can send them back anything you don't want. So it's really customizable and flexible. You can skip a month or cancel at any time. Plus shipping and returns are always free. I took their online style quiz and they sent me all these different recommendations and I would have picked every item, but I had to practice some self-control. So I picked out a really nice blouse and a cute floral bomber jacket that I wear all the time. I love that their items are purposely designed and ethically made with eco-friendly processes. So that is truly a bonus. You can discover what your wardrobe has been missing. To get $25 off your first subscription box and try style plan by Frank and Oak completely risk-free, visit frankandoak.com slash dream job. That's $25 off your first subscription box by going to frankandoak.com slash dream job. Did you know that women's razors can cost up to 15% more than men's? what is up with that? Well, Billy is changing that. Billy delivers premium razors to you for half the price of what you'd find in the store. Go to mybilly.com slash dream to get their starter kit. You get two razor cartridges, a handle, and their awesome magnetic holder for the shower. I love using this razor. It's truly awesome. It's lightweight, but you can tell it It's actually high quality. And the magnetic holder is a real game changer because I can put it up in the shower wall without worrying that my girls might be able to reach it. For just $9, you can get four refill blades every one, two, or three months. And you can skip, adjust, or cancel your subscription at any time. Plus, shipping is always free. Each razor cartridge includes five American-made blades that are encased in aloe shave soap. And let me tell you, this actually makes a huge difference. I didn't know that a shave could be this smooth. They're an Allure Best of Beauty winner and on Nylon's Beauty Hit List because Billy is the brand that finally got women's razors right. To express a little love or don't keep your day job, you can go to mybilly.com slash dream job for 10% off your razor and get the best razor you will ever own for half the price of razors in the store. Plus shipping is always free. This is a limited time special offer. So go now to save 10% off your razor at mybilly.com slash dream job. Okay. Well, since we're on the topic of emails, we're going to dive into a session we did with Allison Evelyn Gower. She's a brand voice strategist. She's a copywriting consultant, and she actually saved me once before when I was in need of some copy ideas. So I'm really grateful for everything that she does. Um, she's going to break down here, the different types of emails and some simple ways to infuse your personality into your writing so that your audience really connects with you as a person. Let's take a listen.
5: So I want to talk real quick about the types of email, because I think for a long time, I would hear use email, power of email, but what the hell does that mean? So here are the main types of email sequences. One is an onboarding sequence. The onboarding sequence to me is so critical because let's say you bring a new client on, even if it's your first client, it's your hundredth marketing. I think a lot of mistakes I see is people market and they have a the lead magnet and suddenly the experience, it goes from this, you know, lovely social media to kind of emails that aren't super targeted or they're sort of all over the place and they're like, really, it's a ton of copy and they're not really sure what to do next. They still need to be taken care of, feel like they made the right decision. They need to be validated that they made the right purchase. So onboarding sequence, I'll get into that a little bit more. Welcome sequence. The welcome sequence is sent out when they Get the freebie. So, like, email one is kind of like delivering that freebie, um, and then sending some emails after to give more information, tell stories about it, and also, most importantly, keep you top of mind. Because when people sign up for a freebie, they're most they're thinking about you. You're on their mind. So, when you keep emailing them, it also means whether you're in art, you're in business, you're whatever your service. When you send emails, they're very receptive. So, welcome sequence is critical. The nurture sequence is just ongoing emails. Um, I recommend at minimum once a week, even if you have a tiny email list, once a week sending a quick like, here's a story, here's something that happened to me. Because even though we think we are shouting from the rooftops, I talk about what I do on social. I am telling, you know, everyone on Facebook. I'm in stories. Y'all, we cannot talk about our services or products enough. Don't feel like you're bugging people. Think about the entrepreneurs you look up to. We love getting emails from them. We love their tidbits. So you're doing the same for someone else. Okay. And then a promo sequence is just an email when you're launching. So if you have a course you're putting out or a new product coming out, it's just emails to promote something. So these are the just basic things I want you to know about emails. What I think onboarding and welcome are probably the things that I want you to focus on, but I want you to know other things we're going to talk about. So these are just, I want to go into some overall principles before I get into specific examples for all emails, because I see this all the time. So number one, formatting, break up your copy. I see so many emails that are just long lines of text. So yeah, using bullet points whenever you can and bolding with the most important line. So if, for example, someone is buying a service or you are telling them you're doing a free giveaway or review Bold that line, something short, maybe 10 to 15 words, and that maximum. Like, remember, the deadline to sign up for this is by this date. Click here, bold. Um, it just really helps draw the eye. Also, think about the person and how you can lift their spirits. That might sound like a friend who you're like comforting on the couch. She's just gone through a breakup, had some wine, but kind of that is what we're doing no matter what business you provide. People don't just go to you because you're a photographer, because you make gorgeous earrings, because you're a marketer. They like how you make them feel. And so I know you all do that in person, but it also needs to be done via email. So, you know, way to step up for yourself, like way to take action. You are so awesome. Who doesn't love to hear those things? So, lifting up spirits is so important. And then, last, have only one call to action. This is probably the number one problem I see. I'll see two call to actions. And the thing is when your attention's diverted, you almost don't know which one to pick. It's like when your to-do list is really long, it's so long you don't even know which task to start with versus if you have one thing you need to do for the day. So one call to action. Okay, so now let's talk about also like the marketing emails. So some things I want you to keep in mind, working in elements of you, who you are as a person, as a brand, The thing that puts you stands you out in the market is your personality. There's other people that do what you do, but the reason someone's going to be drawn to your brand, whether you're a product or a service, is they just love your personality. I would say anywhere where you can throw in little things about yourself, you know, like writing an email instead of saying sincerely, which is probably a corporate job that we all left. No, sincerely, something fine. Like I say, waving from San Diego. Maybe are you an Earl Grey drinker? Like, Sip in Earl Grey, you know, comma, and then your name. So little ways that you can add personality. The sign-off is an easy one to do so. I would recommend referencing things that you like that, you know, your audience also likes. So whether that's yoga, like you're like, okay, sending a quick email after my morning vinyasa class, that could be it. That's just like these little ways to work in things. And also, something negative, but common enemies, it's called the common enemy principle they really bring people together. So, if you ever had a job and you were 16 and your boss was not so nice, you know, like you and your coworkers were automatically bonded. Like, y'all were so close because you had this common enemy. The same goes with your writing. Whatever people hate on, reference it. Okay, and then let's bring it back to the significant objects project. You know, storytelling is a must, right? So there's a reason. In our brain, when we hear messages that sound like marketing, we use a part of our brain that is like, it's wary. Okay, what are they doing? I know they're trying to sell me on something, right? But when we start to tell a story, a different part of your brain actually activates. And it's more of your subconscious because you get lost in the story. So you're not on guard anymore. So it's truly speaking to the brain in a different way when you go into storytelling in your emails, whether that's your ongoing emails, like once a week to your list, when you end up, when you're promoting things, whenever you launch something, like now, later in the future, stories. So, um, and also because decisions are made on emotion first, you have to speak to their emotions first with the storytelling. Whenever you write, do everything you can to paint a picture. Anything that makes it more tangible, it makes it very real. And when you can make it sound super real and genuine, like it just really it stands out to people. Okay, so a few more notes to keep in mind when you share a story, just make sure to like give that value at the end. Um, just make sure you're, you're telling a story and also saying, join my challenge, um, sign up for a session, try this product, always give something at the end so it's still marketing because as much as storytelling is great, it needs to have a tie-in. So remember, um, you know, focus on how you make people feel, whether it's an onboarding email, that email subject line, you want them to feel like, oh, you want them to feel like, oh, what is that? And how you want them to feel in the email. We all want our people to feel empowered and empowering them is huge. Being like you can do this. This can change your life. This can work for you. So it's always good to keep in mind, like, what do people need to hear? Like tell your story, but also, you know, what is it they're going through that this story can help tell them.
0: All right. So finally, I want to share a special coaching call we did with the phenomenal Emily McDowell. She's a writer, illustrator, she's founder of Emily McDowell and Friends, and she is one of the most incredibly wise people I know. You probably heard me mention her name on the show like I did at the beginning of today's episode, but I've talked about her many times before and her incredible Instagram posts. And she's been on this show at the beginning of the year. If you haven't heard that full episode with her, I highly recommend it. But here we had a conversation with my course and she had so much to say about empathy, And I asked her, you know, what does it take for people to become successful? And I thought her answer was really, really powerful. So, so let's take a listen. So how would you help somebody think about building this thing that they love to do more from like a hobby into more of a business as you've done?
1: Well, there's a lot that I wish I had known, but I think like a very, very basic thing that I wished that I had started with is what kind of life do I want to have? So not just like, what do I want to make and put out in the world? And like, what would be cool? What would feel rewarding? Like, oh, having my stuff in stores would feel great. That would be fun. I think I'd like having employees. I'd like doing this. I want to build this. Like, I can see how this would work. But like, what kind of life do you actually want to have? And how do you want to spend your time every day? Because the conventional wisdom in our culture is when something works, grow it bigger, faster, more, you know, become a household name. And that's one way to do it. But if I had stopped at the beginning and instead of saying, yeah, it sounds great to have all my stuff in stores. It sounds great to do this. It sounds great to do that. Why would I not want that? Um, Well, one reason I might not want that is because the reality of having 30 employees is that you actually get really far away from the thing that you started doing in the first place that you loved because you're doing management because you are helping other people because you are in finance meetings because you are doing all the things that it takes to run a company that are not the thing so for me it's like okay let's go back to like the very beginning of what's the feeling that you want to have every day in your work? Do you thrive on chaos and craziness? And if so, how sustainable is that? And like, how long do you want to do that for? (laughs) Do you want a job where you are able to, you know, hang out with your kids and have freedom and take some time off and have balance? What are the actual things that you love doing? Because for a lot of makers, You love making, like you love sitting down. And if you make pottery, you love making pottery. But like, if you start selling to anthropology, you're not going to be making that pottery anymore. You're going to be doing a lot of other things, and you may end up being good at those things. But just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it, and that doesn't mean that that's what's going to feed you and what you're supposed to do. And so, I think that one of the dangers of this like sort of hustle culture is not thinking about like what kind of life do I actually want and like what does it actually mean what does that success look like and how do I define success not just how much money do I want like how do I want to be spending my time and really trying to structure your business because there's so many different ways to to do things and the internet and the way that we distribute things now gives us so many more avenues than there used to be and so just really sitting down at the beginning and thinking like, what do I want? How do I want to spend my time? And what does success look like for me? Not like, what does it look like for the world? Or what does it look like for other people? You know, just because people are saying to you, you should sell this, you should do that, you should get this in Nordstrom, like maybe, but also maybe not. And if I had had the wherewithal and the knowledge and the understanding to sit down at the beginning and really think about a strategy, not just to grow the business for the sake of growing it, but for what I wanted from life. I think it would look really different right now. And I don't regret having made any of the choices I've made and I don't, and I'm grateful to be where I am, but I also think that if I were to do it over, I would make some very different choices for a long time. I really worked myself into the ground for about the first six years of my business. And I got to the point where I had this business that everybody around me was like, you do this amazing thing. And you like, your life must be so great. And like you touch people's lives. And, and I was just so burned out that I was like, yeah, cool, I guess. And I couldn't feel any of it anymore. And that was when I was like, okay, I need to make some radical changes to all of this. And the way that my job used to be the number one non-negotiable thing that happened every day, like getting through X percent of my to-do list, being present for myself is now my non-negotiable thing that I do every day. And, and I work, like I work a a lot, but just because you're your own boss also doesn't mean that you're, you don't fall prey to the like, living to work thing. We have to be careful. Like We are sometimes our own worst boss. And when you are working for yourself and when you are you know driven by your thing, and if you're not really intentional about making time and space for yourself in areas that are not just what you do, it really sort of defeats the purpose of having this freedom in this career and this thing that you love because you're, you're a slave to it. And so for me, it's about finding joy in what I do, but also really not in what I do now and in other things and that, and I just say that because that wasn't always the case and it turned out that it wasn't sustainable.
0: That is so important. You know, once you, like Emily said, you have people start to come to you and say, oh, you're doing this so well, you should scale this, you know, and then all these opportunities will come. And so many different things like that have come in my life. And then I always feel this feeling of like, I'm so behind and there's this arrival point and oh my God, and all of these things. And I don't want that. (laughs) And it's like, I think it's, it's been hard for me to even share that. I don't want necessarily all of those things. And, um, no one tells you that like, once you pass seven figures, do you know how much money you're spending on your team and taxes? Do you know where you wind up? It's like, it's kind of funny. Like it's, you think that more is more, but more could be less. Did you ever think of that? (laughs) So, um, I have this whole thing that I keep saying to you every time we talk, which is, wouldn't it be so cool if you are, if you make pie and you sold 30 of those a week for $35 and by the end of the month, you're making $4,000 a month. And like, you just grow it a little, right? And it just grows. Like how crazy awesome would it be if you're like, I'm making 10 grand a month doing something I love. Like that's amazing. And it's doable. It is doable. You can do that. You can make a living doing what you love. Okay, I hope you guys learned a lot from these mini masterclasses. Here are some of the takeaways. Number one, if you don't know who you're serving through your business, then you don't have a business. People need to know that your offer is for them. Number two, think of your ideal client as a protagonist in a novel. Design an entire life around them. Number three, leave a compliment and a question. Number four, make your customer the hero of your brand. Take them through a transformation. Number five, start with a hook, weave them into your story, and have a strong, clear call to action at the end. Number six, the most important way to provide value is by making someone feel less alone. Number seven, drop the formalities. Just write to your audience like you're writing to a friend. Number eight, when you define success, go back to the beginning and ask yourself, what life do I want to have? What feeling do I want to experience every day? And number nine, don't make it non-negotiable to do your work. Make it a non-negotiable to be present for yourself every day. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am pretty clear that you have a million other things you could be doing with your time. So it means the world to me that you're here listening to the show. If you wanna be the first to get in on all the new episodes that are coming out, you guys, we have so many cool people that are coming on the show. I can't wait to share that with you. Just make sure you subscribe wherever you listen and let me know what you think about the show by leaving a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. The best thing you can do to help us is to spread the word and share an episode with a friend. You won't really just be helping us. I feel like you'll be helping whoever you tell because... The show seems to be a catalyst for people to help you launch back into your zone of genius and crafting a life on your terms. So if it's this episode today or any other episode and you've been meaning to do it, take a second right now and share the link with a friend who might be able to really feel inspired from this. Okay. I love you guys so much. And don't forget, I am doing that full week immersion experience. It's going to be so cool. This full week workshop, and it's free when you pre-order my book in the next week. So go ahead pre-order the book. And there's a link in the show notes to uh, sign up uh, for the free workshop. Once you pre-order the book, you can pre-order the book anywhere you want, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, whatever you want. All right. I'll leave you with another song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.
4: So many times,
0: my tongue.